Uh, I'll invite you to turn your Bibles tonight to Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. We'll start there. And I'll refer back to Isaiah chapter 53. So if you want to turn there too, so you can turn quickly, get it quickly in a few moments when we go back there, then that might give you a head start. Matthew chapter 8 and Isaiah chapter 53. These are uh, the eighth chapter of Matthew particularly is telling us about some uh, healings and, and works that Jesus did in the early part of his ministry. He's in his first year of ministry. And it says in verse 16, when the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. I want you to notice that. And healed all that were sick. Now, if we stop right there and, uh, and look at church doctrine and church ideas and, and so forth about why Jesus healed all that were sick, you'd get a lot of different answers. Some would say, well, he healed all that were sick to prove that he was the son of God. Other people might say, well, he healed all that were sick. Uh, because it was God's will for those people at that particular time or, or any number of other ideas. Usually come down to Jesus and some special thing that he had from God and so forth. But notice that the verse 17 tells us why he healed all that were sick. When the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. Why? Verse 17 tells us that or so that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying himself took our infirmities and bear our sicknesses. Now what um, Matthew is referring to is over in Isaiah chapter 53, which tells us about all the things re relative to the Messiah and the Messiah's work of redemption. He's talking about all the things that Jesus would accomplish on the cross. And it says in verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs, the word griefs is the word sickness, and carried our sorrows, the word sorrow is pain. And we did as, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. So it says he has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains. Now, God seemed to know that there was going to be controversy about healing in the body of Christ. And a lot of people will talk about, well, if it means sickness and pains, why didn't it, in, in Isaiah 53, 4. If it means sickness and pains, why didn't it translate sickness and pains? And I, I really don't have a good answer for that. I don't know why the translators chose griefs and sorrows because the very same words in the Hebrew language are translated in numerous other places throughout the Old Testament. Griefs is translated sickness and, and sorrows is translated pains. Now, I don't know, and, and everywhere that they are, it's talking about physical ailments, physical sickness or disease or ailments of some type or another. So I really can't answer the translators. I don't know that there is a good answer. I, I hate to assign some ulterior motive or, or evil motive to the translators. I, so, I certainly don't believe that. But there was something in their understanding, and you understand a, a translation is based on two things. It's based on, number one, the translator's understanding of the language that's being translated from. Hebrew was written, or the Old Testament was written originally in Hebrew. New Testament written originally in Greek. So the first thing it depends on is their knowledge and their understanding of the language. The second thing a translation depends on is their understanding of the character and the nature of God. Because in the Hebrew language, less so in the Greek, but in the Hebrew language, there are many, many, many words that can be translated one way or another. And in some ways, some cases, the words mean almost the opposite of one another. The possibilities are either an extreme on one end or on the other end. For example, there's a place in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, there's the scripture that says, 
that God creates the, uh, creates the, forms the light and creates the darkness. Well, that word create can mean one of two things. It, means, it can mean to make as in create as we would understand. But it also could mean cut down like you'd cut down a tree. So the translators were left with the task of determining what does it mean? I form the light and create darkness. Does it mean God made the darkness? Or does it mean God cut down the darkness like a tree? Well, how did he make the light? What did God do to form the light? He spoke into the darkness and said, light be. What happened to the darkness? It was cut down. So the translators translated it as God created evil. But I believe it would be more aptly translated and more correctly translated. I formed the light and cut down the darkness. And you can see how that would fit. Now, in that particular case, the meaning of that one word, one way or the other, doesn't affect our doctrine or belief about God. But some of the other places where the translators were left with a dilemma, I assume it's a dilemma, were left with the choice to translate one way or another, then it might be more lesser or more important based on the, the specific scripture or occasion. In this case... There is absolutely no explanation for why griefs was translated, the word um, used, the word that's translated into Greeks, grief was translated in the way that it was, and the word translated into sorrows was translated the way it was. Because the very same translators used the very same word in other places, numerous other places in the Old Testament to mean sickness and pains. Now, as I said, God seemed to know that there was going to be a controversy about this in the body of Christ, so he gave us a commentary. He translated it for us. Matthew eight seventeen, verse 16, the end of verse 16, Jesus healed all that were sick, that or so that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, what did Isaiah say? He said, Jesus took our griefs and sorrows, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. So Matthew is inspired by the Holy Ghost to tell us what Isaiah was talking about. He's talking about sickness and pains. Now, this verse of Scripture is causing a problem for a lot of people that don't want to believe in healing. And there are several different arguments that people use to discount healing belonging to everybody today. They'll say, one of the arguments is, well, see, Pastor Mike, it says in verse 17 that what Jesus did in the first year of his ministry fulfilled what Isaiah said. So that would mean if that scripture was fulfilled when Jesus was here on the earth, that would mean it's not for us today. Well, that's an argument that needs to be answered, doesn't it? Because it says that it might be fulfilled. It doesn't say that it might be progressively fulfilled. It says that it might be fulfilled. But there are two questions that we need to answer about that. Number one, if Jesus fulfilled what Isaiah said in in chapter 53, Isaiah 53, 4, if he fulfilled that in the first year of his ministry, then on what basis did he heal the people for the next two years? If that scripture is fulfilled, where is his authority to heal the sick for the next two years until he went to the cross? Because if that scripture is fulfilled, he has no foundation, no basis whatsoever to continue his healing ministry. Secondly, I want you to turn with me over to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12 gives us another one of those that it might be fulfilled scriptures. Now, this one's a problem. It's a problem for the modern-day church, and I'll show you why. It says uh, in, uh, well, in verses 9 through 13, it talks about Jesus healing the man with the withered hand in the synagogue. 
And as a result of the healing that, uh, that took place on the Sabbath day, it says in verse 14 that the Pharisees went out and held a council against him, how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed them, followed him, and he healed them all. Now, again, I'll go back to Matthew chapter 8, verse 17. If Jesus fulfilled what Isaiah said in Isaiah 53, 4 in Matthew chapter 8, then on what basis is he healing the sick in Matthew chapter 12? The only answer anybody will give to you is, well, he was the son of God. But that doesn't answer the question. If Jesus is healing the sick based on him being the son of God, then why does Matthew eight seventeen tell us he healed all that were sick relative to or to fulfill, to show forth a fulfillment of Isaiah 53, 4? Now, folks, there are very, sel- very seldom can you get somebody that does not believe in healing to answer these kind of questions. But it's important, in my opinion, it's important for us to answer them for ourselves because the devil will try to use this stuff against you to rob you of what belongs to you. So it says, Jesus withdrew himself and great multitudes followed him and he healed them all. And he charged them that they should not make him known, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. Here's another prophecy that Isaiah makes relative to the Messiah. That it might be fulfilled, and again, this is a past tense thing. He fulfilled it at that moment. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A a bruised reed shall he not break, and a smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment into victory, and in his name shall the Gentiles trust. Now, folks, the problem with the, for the modern-day church is very simply this. And I, when I say the modern-day church, I'm assuming that you understand that, that the majority of the modern-day church is Gentile. I am. How about you? Most of us are. So here's the problem. If Jesus, still in the first, toward the end of the first year of his ministry, fulfilled what Isaiah said about the Gentiles trusting in his name, you're not saved. Because that was fulfilled in Jesus' ministry when he was here on the earth. And in his name, this part of the prophecy, and in his name shall the Gentiles trust. Well, now, who in the world would be stupid enough to say that that doesn't belong to us today? Yet the same phrase that it might be fulfilled concerning the same prophet, Isaiah, is talked about in two different ways by the modern-day church. Well, certainly the Gentiles can trust in his name. Anybody Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That belongs to Jew and Gentile alike. Everybody agrees with that, don't they? Well, then why do they try to take healing away from us when the very same thing that the Bible says about Jesus healing the sick is what it says about the Gentiles trusting in his name? In fact, the reason that it says that it might be fulfilled is because as far as God is concerned, and the Bible is written from God's point of view, his perspective, not man's, The Holy Spirit inspired Matthew to write concerning the Old Testament prophecies, at least Isaiah's prophecies in this case, about Jesus and the work of the Messiah. As far as God was concerned, as soon as Jesus began his redemptive ministry here on the earth, it was done. Doesn't mean everything was accomplished until Jesus went to the cross 
and died for the died for original sin. I don't mean for man's sins, plural, but literally the price of disobedience in the Garden of Eden, which was death, spiritual death. Nothing was finished, nothing was accomplished completely until Jesus paid that price and was raised from the dead. But as far as God was concerned, as soon as Jesus began his, his redemptive work, which was saving and healing, as far as God was concerned, it was done. It would continue and it would progress. But back to Matthew chapter 8. Jesus healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Some will say, well, Jesus healed on the earth to prove that he was the son of God. And that never was intended to continue. Well, we've got a problem with that too. Turn with me over to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Let's start in verse 17. It says, And it came to pass... On a certain day, as he was teaching, that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And I want you to notice that. The power of the Lord was present to heal them. Healing power was available. Both Matthew and, Luke, uh, Matthew and Mark refer to this account. And it tells us in uh, another translation of Mark chapter 2, tells us that Jesus was in his own house. Matthew tells us they were gathered in a house, but it doesn't tell us it was Jesus. The house belonged to him. And behold, verse 18, behold, man brought in a bed, a man which was taken with palsy, and they sought means to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went up onto the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, they didn't literally see their faith, but he saw the action or the result of their. He saw the action and the result uh, of the. He saw the, what the men were doing and knew that that was a result of faith. I'll get it out in a minute. So it says, when he saw their faith, it's kind of like us looking out the window. Somebody else in the house may say, "Is the wind blowing?" Well, we look out the window and we see the leaves blowing, we see the the trees bending and stuff like that, and say, "Yeah, the wind's blowing pretty hard." Well, we don't see the wind; we see the results of the wind. You can't see faith, but you can see the results of faith. Faith is a spiritual force. So it says, when he saw their faith, when Jesus saw the four men, well, really five men, the four men carrying the guy, the sick guy, and the, the man on the couch himself, the man with palsy. When he saw their faith, he said unto them, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. Thy sins are forgiven thee. Now, this created a problem for the Jews. We'll talk about the things that Jesus answered in just a moment. But let me ask you a question. If the argument is, from those that don't believe in healing for everybody today, if the argument is Jesus healed the sick while he was here on the earth to prove that he was the son of God and that doesn't belong to us today, then what are we going to do with the fact that Jesus forgave sins when he was here on the earth? Clearly it says Jesus forgave sins when he was here. Now if he did that in the same measure or for the same reason to prove that he was the son of God, then how can we say that forgiveness of sins belongs to us today? I mean, if it means one thing concerning healing, doesn't it have to mean the same thing concerning forgiveness of sins? It should. But of course, I'm talking logic. 
which a lot of Christians are not willing to engage in because it discounts what they want to believe. But Jesus saw their faith and said, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And here's the, here's the problem that it created with the crowd. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? The folks, they're on to something, but they don't realize it. They're right. God is the only one that can forgive sins. So that t- should have told them who Jesus was. It should have caused them to realize who Jesus was claiming to be. But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Which is easier? I know the King James says whether, but literally it means which is easier to say? Thy sins be forgiven thee? Or to say rise up and walk? Well, which is easier to say? <coughs> Excuse me. I would submit to you it's easier to say that somebody's sins are forgiven. Because there's no physical evidence of that. There's no way to prove or disprove that one way or the other. So Jesus asked the question, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise, take up your bed and walk. Now, as far as the Pharisees are concerned, as far as the Jews are concerned, the harder thing to say is your sins are forgiven. It's just the opposite in the modern day church. Modern day church will proclaim forgiveness of sins for anybody and everybody, no matter what they've done. But you're hard-pressed to find a preacher pretty much anywhere of any denomination that's willing to either lay hands on the sick or pronounce healing available to everybody. Jesus says, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise, take up your bed and walk. Now, he answers the question. <coughs> Excuse me. He answers the question. Notice in verse 24. He said, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on the earth to forgive sins. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on the earth to forgive sins. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on the earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise and take up your couch and go into your house. And immediately he rose up before them and took up that whereupon he lay. And departed to his own house glorifying God. And they were all amazed and they glorified God. And were filled with fear saying we have seen strange things today. Now notice what Jesus said. Jesus first asked a question and he's not just making conversation. He's asking a real question. Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise, take up your bed and walk. As I said in their day, they thought the hardest thing to say was your sins are forgiven because only God can do that. The modern day church is just the opposite. The modern day church will say it's easy to forgive somebody's sins because we've been commissioned to do that. Just to get somebody to believe in their heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess him as Lord. You can pronounce forgiveness of sins for anybody and everybody. You can pronounce the good news, the gospel of Jesus, that he went to the cross and died for your sins so that you don't have to pay the price for them. So the modern day church would say it's easier to forgive sins. Just the opposite of the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Jesus' day. So what does Jesus do? Jesus, by his own words, proves that he has power to forgive sins. Now, what is the proof of the power to forgive sins? The display of God's healing power. Now, folks, that is one of the most important things you could ever realize. The proof of the forgiveness of sins is the display of God's healing power. Why? Because sin and sickness have 
their original, their origination, their origin in the spiritual death that came upon mankind because of Adam's sin. Just exactly the same. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying they both have the same source. I can't have the power to heal the sick unless I have the power over original sin and its result, its consequence, spiritual death. Why? Well, Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, by one man sin entered the world. We're talking about Adam. And death passed upon all men. Now, what death is he talking about? He's not talking about physical death. Physical death is just a result of Adam's disobedience. He's talking about spiritual death. If there was no spiritual death, there would be no physical death. Adam could have lived forever if he had never disobeyed God. Physical death was just a result of the spiritual death that came upon him. You remember the the warning that God gave him, the instruction God gave him to not eat of the tree of of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, for in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Well, he can't be talking about physical death because Adam didn't die for 930 years. So what death is he talking about? He's talking about spiritual death. It has to be. And remember what happened when Adam and Eve disobeyed God. Instantly their eyes were opened and they saw they were naked and they were ashamed. In other words, spiritual death passed instantly upon them and changed everything about their nature. Changed everything about their nature. It still took 930 years for spiritual death to catch up with the power of God that created Adam and caused physical death to take hold of him. But spiritual death came on him instantly. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here in Luke chapter 5. Jesus is saying the proof for the forgiveness of sins, the proof is the same healing power that causes sickness and disease to depart. So what does he do? He displays God's healing power. Now, did Jesus stop and do something extra because this was a difficult case? Does Jesus stop and say, okay, now, I didn't realize we were going to have this situation today. But since you guys want proof, that I can forgive sins, the Son of Man here on the earth can forgive sins, then I'm going to have to take some time and pray about it, and then let's come back together in a couple hours. Did he have to exert some kind of extra power to forgive sins than the power that he used continually, often, easily to heal the sick? Same power, same application of power. Same use of power. He just simply said, to prove that I've got power to forgive sins, rise, take of your head and walk. That's the proof. Now that he's walking, now that he's healed, that's the proof that he has power to forgive sins. But it goes back to the same thing that we started with, folks, and that is if Jesus forgave sins here on the earth and we're still supposed to believe in forgiveness of sins, then why are we supposed to discount the healing power of Jesus on the earth as just for that period of time and not for the present day? Turn with me back to Isaiah 53. Isaiah chapter 53. Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Please notice the word our, O-U-R. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our pains or our sorrows. Surely he has borne our sickness and carried our pains. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Verse 5, but he was wounded for our, O-U-R, 
He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. Now, we'll read the rest of the verse, but we won't focus on that right now. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. But notice the same, the same people that he paid the price for sin, he paid the price for sickness. Now, here's where people get dishonest. Most of the dishonesty is just ignorance. Most people just believe what they're told without checking things out for themselves. But I'm not going to give preachers a pass on this. Layman, okay. But you can't be any clearer with two verses side by side, verses 4 and 5 of Isaiah 53. How is it that anybody in good conscience could say that the hour, O-U-R, of verse 4, talking about sickness and disease that Jesus took, is a different group than the hour of verse 5 where it talks about sins and iniquities. How is that possible? Now, you'll never get anybody to answer that because there's no good answer. It's impossible to think that the hour of verse 4 is different than the hour of verse 5. It's impossible. Because Isaiah is not speaking of the people of Jesus' day. He's speaking of everybody. He's speaking of all of mankind of which he is part. That's what hour means, doesn't it? Hour means you and me. So the hour means you and me for anybody that reads these verses, no matter what time period they're in. Otherwise, he would have said there. He was wounded for their transgressions. He was bruised for their iniquities. He bore their sickness and their pains, but he doesn't. He says our. So what does, that con- what does that leave us to conclude? Let's go back to Matthew chapter 8 and we'll go first full circle with this. What does Matthew eight sixteen and 17 mean, therefore? It means very simply this. It means that the only explanation for Jesus healing all that were sick is to show that Isaiah 53, verse 4, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses, can only be fulfilled. The only possible understanding of the fulfillment of that verse, which speaks of the Messiah's work, is healing for all. And just as we accept Jesus' saving work, I hate to use that term, but the modern-day church knows what I mean, forgiveness of sins, just as Jesus did the work of forgiveness of man's sin, on the cross, and it's accepted by believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead and confessing him as your Lord and Savior in exactly the same way. And there is no other possibility for the Scripture to be true. In exactly the same way, Jesus paid the price for sickness and disease to accomplish divine healing and health for all that believe Jesus died and was raised from the dead and accept and confess him as healer. That's the only possible explanation, if the language means anything. It's the only possible explanation. Jesus healed all that were sick in order to fulfill. In order to fulfill. Half the people, half the healing half the crowd wouldn't have done it. Healing a few sick people wouldn't have done it. Healing just enough to prove that he was the son of God wouldn't have done it. Jesus healed all that were sick 
Because the only way Isaiah 53, 4 can be fulfilled is for all the sick to be made well. It's the only possible explanation, folks. Surely, he has borne our sickness and carried our pains. Surely, the only surely in verse 53, or in chapter 53, is concerning sickness and disease. Surely, he has borne our sickness and carried our disease. Surely. It's almost like God knew what was ahead. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. We understand that means everybody. All of mankind. The chastisement of our peace, all of mankind's peace and well-being was upon him. And with his stripes, we, referring to the same hour in the previous verses, with his stripes, we, our diseases are healed. With his stripes, we are healed. The only way that can be fulfilled is for every person. It's for it to belong to every person. That doesn't mean everybody's going to receive it any more than every person will get saved. But the fact that people fail to receive salvation can never be used as a proof of who Jesus died for. He died for the sins of mankind, whether mankind receives and accepts it or not. He took upon himself stripes to purchase and accomplish healing for all of mankind, whether all of mankind receives it or not. It's the only possible explanation. If you're going to be honest in interpreting the scriptures, it's the only way it can be done. He healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Let's all stand together. I want you to close your eyes and say these words after me. Let your heart agree with them. Don't just repeat them because I'm saying them. But let your heart agree with these. Say it slow enough to where you can hear yourself and agree with it. I believe that Jesus went to the cross, that he died for mankind's sin. He paid the price for spiritual death to redeem mankind. Therefore, I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I confess that my sins are forgiven. In the same manner, I believe that Jesus paid the price for sickness and disease. At the same time that he paid the price for sin. I believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. And therefore, I accept and receive Jesus as my healer. I declare that just as that my sins are forgiven, wiped away, done away with, and I am made righteous in the sight of God, I believe that my sickness and my disease was carried by my Lord. Therefore, I declare that just as sin has departed, sickness has to depart from my body. I declare that just as I've been made righteous, I have been healed by the stripes of Jesus. The same price that Jesus paid on the cross 
accomplish forgiveness of sins and healing for my physical body. Thank you, Lord, that I'm healed now from the top of my head to the soles of my feet because Satan's power has been broken over me, over my life, and over my body by the work of Jesus. You realize that has to be true. You realize that what we just did was the same way that we received salvation. By believing in our heart and confessing with our mouth that Jesus is Savior. In the same way, because he paid the price at the same time, in the same manner, through the shedding of blood. That's how you receive Jesus as your healer. Doesn't mean you get instant results. But the lack of instant results does not negate the truth of the price that Jesus paid and the healing that he accomplished for you and for me. Amen? Let's lift our hands and worship God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. It's so good to be healed. Thank you, Lord, for healing our bodies at the same time you paid the price for sin. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We thank you that because it's the same power that saves us, that heals us, we thank you, Lord, that our salvation, the forgiveness of sins, the fact that we've been made righteous is proof, according to your own words, Jesus, is proof that the healing power of God is working in our bodies to raise us up. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you for doing a great work. Thank you for doing a complete work. Thank you that we're healed by the stripes of Jesus. Healed by the stripes of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. It's already accomplished. It's already done. We are healed. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Just as you forgave sins then, Lord, you're forgiving sins now. Just as you healed the sick then, you heal the sick now. Thank you, Lord, that we are healed by the stripes of Jesus. Hallelujah. Is it true? Is it true for you? Amen. It's certainly according to the word. In heaven and earth shall pass away, but the word will never fail. Say it with me. Thank God for healing by the stripes of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.